This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and uh, Amy under the weather today, so it's just Dan. And yesterday, uh, Ben Sass, uh, senator from Nebraska, never Trumper, was on with our colleague Hugh Hewitt talking about the anonymous op-ed author and uh, the substance of what that person wrote, as well as the anonymity under which he or she wrote it, Michael Caputo former Trump advisor, thinks it's a she, thinks he knows who it is, but on advice of counsel, he's not outing her. Okay, we'll see how long that lasts. Uh, Ben Sass um, said this about um, uh, the choice to pen this op-ed and do so anonymously, even as a never-Trumper, even though he agrees with some of the comments in the op-ed, doesn't agree with the choice. You know, I don't know how to talk about it yet. I, I'm honestly, I'm still processing it. it. It's just so similar to what um, so many of us hear from senior people around the White House, at, you know, three times a week. So it, it's really troubling, and yet, in a way, not surprising. And I get the, I, I'm, I'm, again, I want to be cautious because I'm still processing it. But I think two things morally. Uh, first, I think there are lots of really, really good people around the president who are trying to. Um, restrain his impulsiveness and his just regular lack of reflection on the long-term implications of different issues. And so I, I think it's a very moral act to love your country and frankly try to care about Donald Trump with all the um, challenges that every human has, but his are kind of unique. Um, I think it's a good way to serve your neighbor to stay in the administration even when you're worried. I don't understand the morality of why anyone would write the piece. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by our friend Brett Baer host of Fox News Special Report, weekdays, 5 p.m. Chicago time, of course. The book, Three Days in Moscow, Ronald Reagan and the Fall of the Soviet Empire. All right, Brett, tell us who wrote the op-ed. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. We, uh, we, we do not know, uh, but whoever it is didn't help his or her cause. Um, in fact, I mean, just think about the implications of this. You have left and right condemning the action for not coming out publicly and saying it, right? You have now another talking point for the president to say there is a deep state. If you don't think there is, uh, you can call it deep state in the intelligence community. You can call it somebody within my administration. So it's another talking point. Three, if this person was really worried and was acting to prevent the president from his impulses, don't you think he, he or she has cut off that possibility? I mean, isn't the president now going to exponentially be more careful about who he listens to and what papers are taken off his desk? And four, you have every cabinet member and the vice president coming to uh, pay, get in line and say, I'm not the one who did it. So what is the upshot of the the positivity of this anonymous op-ed? Well, right. It, it, I don't think it's about the country. I think it's about the person who wrote it and, um, you know, some kind of exit strategy that they now have set for themselves whenever they so choose to out themselves with uh, much fanfare on the left and uh, perhaps uh, book deals and uh, analyst gigs and all that uh, is attendant to uh, being somebody who is high profile and critical of President Trump. And I also want to get your take on the substance of it. Wall Street Journal opined, 
and uh, made the point, um, recall, when Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue rushed to persuade Trump not to withdraw from NAFTA on a whim in early 2017, or how Defense Secretary Mattis and others persuaded him NATO is in America's interests. Uh, McCann advised against uh, firing Special Counsel Mueller in the uh, early days, or perhaps even intermittently on multiple times. Um, and so, I, I'm sorry, so so what's new here that hasn't been publicly reported in, uh, on a range of matters? Exactly. And I mean, we know, we know just from the time in office that this guy is different. He operates on a different wavelength. He's a New York real estate developer who makes decisions by his gut. And sometimes his gut is dead wrong on the long-term implications. And somebody who's been around the block, who knows the issue, instructs him or somehow tells him that's not the way to do it. And eventually you get to the place where they make a decision. Um, I don't know. I, I agree with you. I don't think these stories are new. I think the obsession with trying to find the person is new. And obviously that yeah. is the latest parlor game in Washington, D.C., yeah, and I mean, the other thing about this, too, is so in those instances, he listened to advisors like uh, the examples the Wall Street Journal gave, what you were discussing. And so, uh, you know, Doris Kearns Goodwin writes books about the Lincoln administration, a team of rivals, and how you had competing interests. And then uh, Lincoln would hear from multiple perspectives and then make a decision uh, in, in, on trade policy, some of his most controversial decisions, at least from the perspective of a free market conservative like me, you got Larry Kudlow on one side, you got Peter Navarro and Lighthizer on the other, and maybe Wilbur Ross too. Uh, and then Trump makes these decisions. So it's, it's laudable and enlightened when Lincoln does it. Uh, it's uh, crazy town when Trump does it. Yeah. And, Listen, this guy has eccentricities. There's no doubt about it. Right. And yeah. the stories inside the White House, of course, yes, he does. He's Donald Trump. We've known him for decades on the covers and, and from TV. Um, but at the end of the day, is he listening to advisors or not? Is, is he doing things that he campaigned on or not? Is, you know, the trade thing, if anybody thought that that was a surprise, Go look at seven billion rallies that he <laughs> right. as a candidate, exactly. you know, or, you know, if the wall is a surprise that he's holding out for wall funding, um, go check out, you know, 2016. Um, so I, I guess I'm not I'm not surprised by the 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 article itself. I am surprised that there is this much furor over it. And I. You know, there's a conspiracy part of me that is so house of cards now in Washington um, that I'm like, this is in 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 total an upside for the president, you know, as far as running against something and talking about yeah. something. And we're not talking about the Bob Woodward book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Yeah, right. Although, although the, you know, the audio that was released of the phone conversation between Woodward and Trump, I thought that served Trump's interest, too. He's like, okay, so I got another bad book coming out. So what? You know, that's the part attended to the job. I'm used to it. You know, I mean, it wasn't <laughs> like he was going hysterical or suggesting he was going to end Bob Woodward's career or anything of the sort. I mean, he's tweeted about it. And obviously, like very much like this op-ed, you've had these people he attributes critical things, uh, have, have having said critical things about the president. Mattis denied it. Kelly denied it. Nikki Haley's rally to his defense in terms of her interactions with the president. 
So, I mean, it just seems like the more that they try to gotcha this guy, the more it uh, he's able to turn it on them. Yeah, and I, I guess what I don't know from a political standpoint is how much the country is just tired of the controversy, yeah. tired of every day going to 11, um, tired of the, oh, my gosh, moment. And is the negative to that, you know, let's elect Democrats in the midterm, uh, because, you know, the antidote, if you want the controversy to go away, clearly is not to have House Democrats impeach the president. It's going to be another, you know, seven months. I don't know politically how it falls, um, because I do know as I travel the country, people are tired of the BS. Well, right. And, and yeah, I mean, I don't know how it falls either. I think it's very volatile right now. And uh, the problem that the, the voter has is the histrionics and the manufactured outrage uh, coming from the left. So it's a hardly that they're an alternative, as you were sort of intimating. I mean, Cory Booker's performance yesterday, that complete charade uh, that, that uh, he conducted, in addition to, you know, trying to outdo Kamala Harris with their own, uh, uh, you know, audition for 2020. I mean, Cory Booker it, it just flat out manufactured this uh, email matter out of whole cloth knowingly knowing that the email was going to be released. And, you know, that has a boomerang effect too. I, I know I'm being flim flam by this guy, just like sometimes people say, I know I'm being flim flam by this guy, Trump. Yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's both sides. And, um, this is why people hate Washington, but that moment in that hearing, I mean, when you have to say, this is an, I am Spartacus moment, <laughs> you know, Spartacus, ne- Spartacus never had to say it. Right. Um, you yeah. know, you, you don't have to say it. And uh, the fact that there was that much histrionics and drama after he negotiated with Senator Mike Lee of Utah to get overnight the documents released. And there is a process by which all of the documents were released. And yet he said, go ahead, bring it on. You know, kick me out of the Senate. It was just um I don't know. It's just it feels bad. Be wary of the eager martyr, uh, as I like to say. And uh, that's Cory Booker. But but on that score and on the Democrat side. So you had uh, another upset uh, from the left against a longtime incumbent in Massachusetts. This uh, woman, Ayanna Presley, uh, who is going to be um, a, a congresswoman from Massachusetts, the same seat that uh, JFK held. Um uh, but then last night, uh, the effort to unseat uh, longtime incumbent senator from Delaware, Tom Carper, failed. Uh, you're uh, a frequent guest on your show, a special report. Kim Strauss had an interesting piece in the Wall Street Journal suggesting what the Democrats are doing is sort of Tea Party turnabout, that they're nominating some people that, uh, boy, it certainly energizes their base in the primary and the activist set, the socialist set. But uh, when it comes to the general are they nominating people who can't win a general election in the seats they need to change the balance of power in D.C.? I think it's a great question. <clears throat> and remember that Tea Party year of nominations, the Sharon Angles, the Christine O'Donnells, you know, I'm not a witch, the, um, all of the, the candidates, the Tea Partiers, who ended up losing. <clears throat> and then Mitch McConnell and John Cornyn, the next cycle you know, it was the Empire Strikes Back, right. and they got candidates that, that they knew could win. Um, I don't know. I do know that the progressive side 
of the Democratic Party, the left side of the party, is very energized. And this president energizes them like no other. Um, and how that plays out in the election, I have yet to see. I mean, down in Florida in the governor's race, Gillum, the Tallahassee mayor, is is up uh, in the latest poll there. So um, we shall see. He is Brett Baer, uh, host of Fox News Special Report, 5 p.m. weekdays. Uh, Chicago time, of course, three days in Moscow. Ronald Reagan and the fall of the Soviet empire is his latest book. Brett, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. We'll see you. Take care. Have a good weekend. And he joined us on the turnkey.pro answer line. You're listening to Chicago's morning answer with Dan Prof and Amy Jacobson on AM 560. The answer.